Our text this morning uh, comes from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, this is one of these stories that appears in multiple Gospels, and I will be kind of referring every once in a while to Mark, because sometimes it's good to be able to sort of round out the details. But we're going to center our thoughts on Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. This is the Word of God. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, she knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Father, we ask this morning that you would make your book live for us and that you would show us yourself in your word and that you would show us ourselves in your word. We confess and believe once again what you have taught us about your word for your word itself says it. You, you say that your word will go forth and it will go forth in power and it will accomplish everything that you have purposed for it to do on that particular occasion and it will not return to you empty or fruitless. You say that your word is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates bones and marrow and joints and sinew. It cuts to heal, it corrects, it rebukes, it exhorts, it trains in righteousness. It is to your word and your word alone that we look. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, um, this may be a surprise to you, but motherhood is under attack in our day, in our culture. Uh, you might not have noticed, but since the 1960s, there has been a slow, grinding, subtle attack on the family and on motherhood in particular. And this is an intentional attack, and the people who began it um, were very intentional about why they were doing what they were doing. They want to remake society in a certain way, and they think that the nuclear family is the reservoir of the ideas they think are evil. And they're right, it is. And so they have begun to attack the nuclear family to chip away at motherhood and fatherhood and children submitting to their parents. And uh, they've tried to replace those functions with the state and they've done a very good job. This is an attack that devalues in particular the role of a mother as a mother and exalts the woman who chooses other roles instead. 
About 10 years ago, the Washington Post uh, treated us to an article entitled, Why Having Children is Bad for Your Marriage. And though the article dealt both with fatherhood and with motherhood, it emphasized mothers. And the opening paragraph of the article went like this. Lots of women look forward to motherhood, getting to know a tiny baby, raising a growing child, developing a relationship with a maturing son or daughter. All over the world, people believe that parenting is the most rewarding part of life. And it's good that so many mothers treasure that bond with their child because the transition to parenthood causes profound changes in a woman's marriage and her overall happiness and not for the better. The article then goes on to note what was at that time a rather staggering statistic. It says, these downsides to having children may partly explain why so many more women in the United States and around the world are choosing not to procreate. According to the U.S. Census, the percentage of childless American women ages 15 to 44 increased a staggering amount in just two generations, from 35% in 1976 to 47% in 2010. It is now above 50% in certain demographics. And demographers estimate that if trends continue, for instance, Norwegian, Swedish, Japanese, Polish, Hungarian, Italian, Russian, Ukrainian, Dutch, Czech, and Slovakian will all be dead languages within 140 years. Nobody will be alive who speaks those languages. German and French will be dead languages within 200 years. In the U.S., we were until recently still having children at above the population replacement level, but it was very interesting when you drilled down and looked at the statistics, it was almost overwhelmingly conservative Jews, Mormons, conservative Roman Catholics, and evangelical Christians that were doing all the heavy lifting as far as having children to sustain this nation. Um, it's not the liberal secularists, in other words, who are having children. Uh, there was a man named David P. Goldman who wrote a book uh, about 20 years ago now called How Civilizations Die. I'd be interested in hearing his updates on things. And he writes this in his book, married couples ask themselves questions today that did not occur to their great-great-grandparents. Do we want children? Can we afford an extra bedroom for another child or another college tuition? Would we rather spend the money on a boat or a vacation to Tahiti. In the industrial world today, a prospective child has to compete against material pleasures and the child is losing the competition. It's interesting that in Europe, uh, the, the, the political right is making such a big deal and rightfully so about the uncontrolled immigration from the Middle East and Africa and how incredibly destructive it is to their cultures in France and Germany and other places, but what they don't realize is that this immigration is being encouraged because it won't be long before there aren't enough people to actually run the economy and even just take care of all the old people. And so they're having to import them. And the reason there aren't enough people is because the women did not have enough babies during their years of fertility. And this is true all over the developed world. You wanna know why the southern border is a mess right now? That's the reason, because quietly the people who run things know that we need more people here if our economy is going to survive into the future. 
are those of the people that we've chosen to bring. To the degree that we passively accept and it, these situations, instead of actively and aggressively resisting them, they make the challenging job of motherhood all the more challenging because they provoke discontent and they provoke angst in our souls. And, and we can alleviate that discontent and by recognizing and rejecting the lie. And the lie is that children are a hindrance and that motherhood is something to be resented and to replace it with the scriptural truth that children are a blessing and that motherhood is the highest honor and the highest duty that God can call a woman to. And I would like, therefore, to direct our attention to this, the most unlikely example of godly motherhood in all of the scriptures here in Matthew chapter 15. And I call her unlikely because she is a woman from a pagan background. The pagans who had a long enmity with the Jews. She's called in Matthew a Canaanite woman. In Mark, she's called a Syrophoenician. Now, the Phoenicians were foreigners who came by sea when their colonies around the Mediterranean would get too big to sustain the population. They would have a lottery, and the people who lost the lottery had to get in boats, and they had to go start a new colony, and if they ever came back, they would be instantly killed. And one of the places they colonized during uh, the time of the first kings of Israel was um, the Mediterranean shores all around Israel. And they brought their filthy religion with them, which was very violent and centered around child sacrifice. And they were uh, technologically sophisticated. They were among the first to smelt iron and learn how to make steel, so their weapons were better. And that gave them a distinct advantage to the Israelites. And they very quickly took over the best land in the area to farm. And the Israelites sort of got pushed off of their own land. So centuries later, these people are still here. And they're still pagans. And their religion is still filthy. And things have changed with the Jews, not for the better. Now it's Rome that's running the show. But these people are still a thorn historically in the side of the Jews. And the Jews did not like them one bit. And so here this woman comes. Now, why is she coming to Jesus? Well, Jesus had been teaching in the regions of Galilee immediately before this, and he had said some very strong things, which had no doubt aroused the ire of the scribes and the Pharisees. So he withdrew from there and went north into what today is Lebanon and into the pagan regions of Tyre and Sidon. And Mark tells us that he entered a house to stay there for a while, wishing to remain anonymous and keep his privacy and no doubt get some well-deserved rest. And apparently he was there for more than a few days because one day he and his disciples were either out walking or perhaps they were in the courtyard of the house. And this pagan woman comes to Jesus and she begins crying out, very loudly and very insistently, have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me, son of David. It's interesting, isn't it, that first of all, she even knew that he was there. And second of all, that she would seek him for help. And third of all, that she refers to him as Lord, son of David. This woman had a better idea who Jesus was than most of the Jews that Jesus encountered. She was clearly desperate. And what was she desperate about? She has a little daughter. Mark calls her a little daughter. She was just a little girl. 
And she was severely oppressed by a demonic spirit. The word in Greek is daimonosai, which means demonized. So here is this little girl, perhaps a toddler, perhaps a young elementary school age child, and she is severely afflicted by a demonic spirit. Now that in and of itself is quite unusual because the Lord seems in general to protect very young children from that sort of thing, even in non-Christian homes. And I think, therefore, it is not unreasonable to suggest that this child's affliction might have been related to this woman's worship of her filthy gods. And just by way of note today, you might ask yourself, what are the filthy gods of our day? And how are our children affected as we bow and scrape to the filthy gods of our day? If they even live to be affected. And here we find a very sad but a very true fact about parenting. And the, the fact of the matter is that our children will often bear a harsh penalty for our sins simply because they are dependent upon us. Perhaps this woman took her little girl to the temple of Molech or Baal or Chemosh or Dagon and there dedicated the child to that vile God thinking she was doing good. And in so doing, invited this powerful and destructive force into her little girl's life. And we too can make decisions and engage in activities which we don't think of as idolatrous, but what really are. They are the idolatry of self, the idolatry of pleasure. And they affect our children. The assumption of debt the affair, the divorce. The, the, the man whom a mom enters into a relationship with and invites into her home. The substances that she puts into her body. The people that she leaves her child with while she is out pursuing her pleasures and having a good time. These can all be sources of great harm to her little ones, mothers. And they have been for many, many of their children. It harms their bodies. It harms their souls. You've got to be careful, mom. Be ready to die to self because your children depend on you. And you need to die to self so that your children can be sheltered and protected. We don't know all the places that this woman went for help, but it's clear that no help was available to her. And then one day, in God's kindness, she heard that the Lord Jesus Christ was nearby. And she did what every sensible woman does when her child is under the dominion of the devil. She went to Jesus. What a fantastic example. She sees through bitter experience that all of her idols are more than just worthless. They are absolutely destructive. And so she flings them away and she flees to Jesus on behalf of her child. Loved ones, Christian mothers, fling away 
your idols. The idol of careerism. The idol of self-indulgence. The idol of a critical spirit and frustration and anger. The idol of false peace and conflict avoidance when there needs to be a conflict. And go to Jesus instead and seek him. Seek him for yourself, but even more important, seek him on behalf of your children. Seek him on behalf of your children, whether they are three or they are 33. However the devil has trapped them, no matter how he is dominating them, go to Jesus on their behalf. That's the only place where help can be found. He alone can bind the devil and plunder his goods. You are not strong enough. You cannot browbeat the devil out of your kids' lives. Go to Jesus. You can't worry the devil away. Go to Jesus. She went to Jesus. You go to Jesus like she went to Jesus. Well, she went to Jesus, and she absolutely refused to budge. There's a great lesson here. There's a great, great lesson here for us. And she begins crying out. And the Greek indicates a stubborn repetitiveness to her cries. Ladies, God put a relentless, dissatisfied persistence deep inside of you. It's part of your femininity. It's part of your proper glory. Psychologists refer to it as the insatiability of the female. When you want something or when something is wrong and you don't like it, you are relentless. Let me tell you, I'm a man. I know how that works. And that's your proper glory. Provided it's channeled in the proper way, that is your proper glory. What you need to do, though, is direct it the correct way. Don't nag people. Nag God. Cry out again and again. Why? Because it works. Because on the authority of the Son of God, it works. That's why. Jesus himself says it works. And listen to her prayer. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. You say, wait a minute. She's not the one with the demon. Her child is. Why did she put it that way? Well, because another part of a mother's proper glory is that she feels her children's pain and sorrow and she makes it her own. She personalizes everything. And now you know why. I can remember when I ran into this concept, like I hit a brick wall. And we were at, um, my wife and I were at a marriage conference in Cincinnati, this was in the late 90s or the early 2000s, and the, the, the speaker was trying to explain how when she has something that she cherishes, that becomes an extension of her person, and if you disrespect that thing, you disrespect her person in her mind. And I turned around and I said, that's the stupidest thing I... And I stopped right there. Because she was looking at me like, oh yeah? Because I don't see things that way. You hate on my truck, I'll hate on it with you. It depends on when, how the truck's running, right? Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't personalize 
the things that are important to me. They don't become extensions of me in the way that they so often do for a woman. That's how God made us different. And it's good that he made us different, but we need to understand each other. And she personalized the suffering of her daughter. And she said, my own soul is being rent within me because of her suffering. Women, let your compassion be the source of your passion in prayer. Now look at what Jesus does. This is very interesting. Look at what Jesus does. Is he like, all right, sure. No. He pretends to ignore her. He didn't say a word to her. And did she grow discouraged? No. She kept at it. She was going to get Jesus' help for her little girl come hell or high water. Loved ones, sometimes we pray, and all we get back is silence. And it seems like God is ignoring us. Don't give up. Don't. Keep praying loudly, persistently, and above all, believingly. There's a wonderful hymn written by a man who endured great darkness and depression in an era before there was much help available for persistent clinical depression. And he wrote this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And she's so persistent and so annoying that the disciples say, hey, Jesus, she is really bugging. Can you give her what she wants so that she just goes away, please? And the text says that they actually begged him to make her go away. And still Jesus says, no. He says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, the dividing wall was not yet broken down. The order of salvation is first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, and we're not to that part yet, and you're not a Jew. But even that doesn't discourage her. Note not only her persistence, but her humility. And she comes, and she kneels before him, and she says, Lord, help me. I've got nowhere to go. If you don't help me, then I'm sunk. And that's a powerful prayer. Sometimes God's address is www.attheendofyourrope.com. And that's where she was at. She had tried everything. You may be that way too. You may be that way right now. You have tried everything you know to do. You're out of ideas. You're out of energy. You're out of options. You, you don't even presume to tell the Lord how he should help you because frankly, you don't see any possibility of any way forward. And so you just fall at the feet of Jesus and say, oh Lord, help me please, just help me. And I want you to note next this woman's great humility. Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread 
and throw it to the dogs. Now, if she was a haughty and a prideful woman, she would have said, did he just call me a dog? Mm Mm-mm, Jesus, I was going to let you be my Lord and Savior, but that's not going to happen now. Bow wow and bye-bye, Jesus. But she didn't say that. She doesn't do that. She doesn't contradict the Lord. Instead, she agrees with him. She says, yes, Lord, I am a dog. I am unclean. I am a foreigner. I am estranged from the God of Israel. I have lived a filthy life. I have worshiped filthy gods. And it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread and throw it to this dog. But Father, kids are messy eaters. And crumbs often fall on the floor. And on the floor, the dogs can get to them. And nobody stops them. Can I just have one crumb of grace for my little girl? Just a small crumb off of that great big loaf of your mercy? The kids will never miss it. They'll never even know that it's gone. But it would mean so much to me. And at this answer, the Lord Jesus shows His true heart. He shows His deeper purposes. Oh, Woman, he says. I love that. Can't you just hear his compassion? Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. True faith clambers over every obstacle pursuing the face of God. That's what faith does. That's what true faith does. The devil throws an obstacle in your way, and you're like, well, I'm not sure I'm going to get around that, but I'm going to figure it out. And you climb over it. doesn't matter how tired you are. doesn't matter how hard it's been. doesn't matter how far you seem like you've got to go. And you go, just get over it, and you're like, didn't think I'd get over that. And the devil throws another one in the way. And true faith says, I'm going to pursue God until there is no life in my body. And that's what she does. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly liberated. The little girl wasn't there with her. The little girl was at home. And Mark says that she went home. And she found her little girl in bed. And for the first time in a long time, she looked into her beautiful little face, into her little girl's eyes, and she saw not a mocking, terrifying, hellish presence looking back at her, but her child, her sweet, sweet child. That demon was gone, and that little girl was free, all because her mother sought Jesus on her behalf. Moms, Satan is still after your kids. He's getting, it's not even a secret anymore. He's getting overt about it. The latest thing is a non-binary character on Transformers introducing itself with pronouns. This is for five-year-olds. They're after your kids. They've got an agenda They think they're doing good, just like this woman probably did as she dragged her child to all those pagan temples. They really do. They're sincere. They think they're doing good, and they think we're doing harm. The world is upside down, and we're right side up. 
But when you're upside down, what's right side up looks upside down, and they think we're upside down. They want to liberate your children for what they think is oppression. And he's trying to get into your head. He's trying to, to get you out of the game so that your significance and your happiness lie in diminishing your God-given role in, the lives, in their lives and, and you pursue instead other things. He's teaching you in this situation that your kids are a burden, Satan is. He's teaching you that your kids are an inconvenience. They're a trial. And frankly, when they barf at three in the morning on your bedroom floor, they are an inconvenience and a trial, aren't they? Right? That's motherhood. That's parenthood. He knows that you are their first and their best line of defense, and he lies, and he hates you, and he hates your kids, and he has a lot better shot at them with you neutralized. Don't fall for it. And if you've already fallen for it, then fall back out of it. And this woman shows you that it is never too late to fly to Jesus. So just do that. Do it for yourself. Do it for your kids. Fly to Jesus. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are my rock and my redeemer. If I have said anything untrue or unhelpful, cause it to be forgotten. If I have said anything good and true, cause it to be remembered and retained and brought into the deepest inner parts of the self. In Jesus' name.